All right, I think uh, we're about on time to begin. Is, uh, I'm not sure because I've had to change my watch several times. All right, there we go. We have sound on the mic. I've had to change my watch several times. What is the time? 11. It's 11. All right, 10.57? Two minutes. Oh, well, we should give them, we should give them a couple of minutes if, just in case there's anyone trying to get here. Uh, a little bit about me before we get into our formal uh, section, and then uh, I'll do a pause here so that they'll know an audio verse to cut this part out. But uh, my name is Alan Parker, and I am a professor at Southern. I teach in the School of Religion, but I'm on my way to Weimar, so this is going to be a familiar campus to me very soon. I used to work for Amazing Facts for five years. I was the, in the Amazing Facts uh, team and at the College of Evangelism, director of the College of Evangelism and eventually of the Evangelism Department. And then when we left, uh, uh, we left three years ago to Southern and we've had a great time there, but God is calling us back. So a little bit about us, we have three kids. Skylar, who's three and a half. The halves are very important, you'll find out. Seth, who's four and a half, and our daughter, who's six and a half. So they're all pretty close together, but we figured we'd get it done and out of the way. And we were planning on more than three at one stage, but then we had three, and that's where it stopped. <laughs> all right. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father God, we thank you for being uh, present in our meetings. We pray that you'll be with our topic this morning as we deal with your purpose in recreation. We ask, Lord, that you help us not to be dependent on the values that comes, come from others, but to be dependent on the values that come from your word. Thank you, Lord, for guiding and leading us. And thank you for being present. In Jesus' name, amen. So our topic, as you can see, is recreation or recreation. And there's a very simple reason for that. I believe that there are certain lifestyle choices that you can take that will either wreck what God is trying to do in your life or will recreate you the way He intended it to be. And whenever you've had true recreation, you know what it's like to come back refreshed, revitalized, ready to face your work, ready to do everything that God asks you to do. But whenever you've wrecked your creation through your lifestyle choices, you wake up with headaches, with lack of sleep, not feeling like you can face the week. Is everyone with me? <laughs> and so we want to take a look at the different options. I want to begin with a young man here, Devin Moore, 18 years old, and he seemed like just a regular kid going to school, doing things that other kids do, but he was addicted to video gaming. So one day he's sitting in his car and a cop comes asked to him, asks a question, he goes very nicely with the cop off to the police station. And while they're at the police station, suddenly Devon grabs a gun, shoots the cop in the head, then in the body, then runs out, shoots another person, and then shoots another cop before getting into a car, a police car, a cruiser, and going on a four-hour high-speed chase till they eventually caught up with him. Three people dead. And Devon... What was his response when they, when they pulled him out of the car? He said, life's a video game. You're going to die sometime. What made Devon make these drastic choices? Three dead, four-hour chase in a cop car. What made him make those kinds of choices? What had he been playing that led him to do that? Anyone take a guess? Grand Theft Auto. And what he did in Grand Theft Auto was 
you shoot policemen and you go on chases in cop cars. And that's exactly what he did. In the trigger of a moment, he's under a little bit of pressure, he's standing in the station, and he's been playing these games over and over again until they drilled into him, and he automatically goes into that mode, and he becomes the character in the video game. There is a correlation, undoubtable correlation, between violent video games and violence late in life. Now, where do we want to take a look? People say, I don't feel any of those kinds of thoughts. Video games don't really affect me. I can distinguish reality from something that's not reality. But I want to question our entertainment choices and compare it with God's program. God's program, I believe, is recreation. What is recreation? If you look it up in the dictionary, it says the act of creating anew, something created anew. God's plan was that we are messed up by sin. He is going to step into this world and he is going to recreate us. Can you think of a place in scripture that refers to that? If any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. He is a new creation. He has been created anew. God's plan is in our lifestyle choices, when we're needing to relax and get refreshed, that He would be able to recreate us into His image. I'd like us to, to take a little theological point before we go into some of the practical things in recreation and recreation. What was God's plan for the Sabbath? God's plan for the Sabbath... I believe that this was the highlight of the entire creation week. Everything that he had been doing up until that moment was just to prepare for that moment when he would take Adam and Eve into a relationship with himself. The whole work of creation was performed, Jürgen Moltmann, a famous theologian, says, for the sake of the Sabbath. The whole work of creation, everything, every animal, every flower, everything that was done ahead of time was done so that God and man could enjoy it on the Sabbath. Would you agree? That the Sabbath was about celebrating what God had done in creation. God himself rests from his works, not because he's tired, but that he might be free to be himself and enjoy his creation. So God says, you know what, I've got a whole universe to run, but on this one day I'm not going to run my universe. I'm just going to spend time with you. I could be out there creating new worlds, doing all kinds of things. But on this day, I'm going to spend time with you. I am going to rest from my works. So God rests from His works, and He has this beautiful relationship with us where He can remind us of what the purpose of creation was. His works express God's will. That was His creative works. But the Sabbath manifests His being. I want you to think about that for a moment. His works express God's will, that He willed this creation into existence, but the Sabbath shows who He really is. It is a revelation of God's self. If all you had were God's creative works, you would go, wow, God is so powerful. Wow, God is so incredible. But because we have the Sabbath, we say God is so loving. You understand? God is such an... He is a person who wants a relationship with us. God is gracious. God is patient. God is kind. We know these things because of the Sabbath, not because God created the worlds. So all of creation was for the Sabbath. And this is what makes me think that God has a plan for our lives. That after He created us, every Sabbath we were to be recreated, created anew, reminded. You don't exist to... To do things, you exist to be with me. You don't exist to just go out and chop trees and pick flowers and all and, and pick fruit. You exist to be in my presence. This is your purpose. And I want us to remember that as we think about what 
recreation and recreation is all about. So let's begin with a biblical view. 2 Corinthians 3 and verse 18. 2 Corinthians 3 and verse 18. We've got a number of Bible texts, so feel free to follow along with me and at least see if you can jot them down. And you know this very well. But we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are what? Changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. God's intention was for us to be recreated in His image. And how do we do that? We behold Him. We look at Him. Now what happens if you're beholding other things? You become changed into those things. In fact, we'll find out a little later on exactly how that works. When you start looking at things that are not of the Lord, it begins to impact on your mind. As we spend time looking at God and His Word, we are changed into His image. But as we spend time looking at Hollywood and listening to secular artists and playing violent video games, we become more like the objects we look at. And I remember one young man telling me, he says, I couldn't believe it. In my house growing up, you never heard a swear word. Never. But one day, he says, just, just the other day, something dropped on my foot and suddenly these swear words came out. I was like, where did that come from? Well, where do you think they came from? He had been watching movies, had heard those swear words, and they had gone into his subconscious. And when he was in pain, he had an automatic response, and it triggered those swear words that came out of him. And he says, I couldn't believe the filth that was coming out of my mouth. We need to be careful that as we look at things, we don't become changed into them. So the Bible tells us what are the things that we should look at? What are the things that we should view? And this one I do have up on the screen. Philippians 4 verse 8. Whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are what? Just, whatsoever things are? Ooh, that's a tough one. Whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of? Good report. If there is virtue, if there be praise, think about such things. So where should our thinking be? on the things that are a list of these characteristics. So let's apply the test. Do the games, music, and movies that you have glorify God or sin? First of all, are they true or fiction? That's a tough test right there. Are they honest or dishonest? Is there a lot of lying going on? How many commandments do they break? Do they promote justice or injustice? Are they pure or impure? Are they lovely and beautiful or are they shameful? Do they lead to a good report or an evil one? My wife went to a video store that was closing down. She said, you know, I just thought I'd see what they had in the video store before they closed. So she goes into a video store and she says, I'm looking for a video, but I've got a few requirements. Number one, it can't have any sex. Number two, it can't have any bad language. And number three, they can't take the name of the Lord in vain. Oh, and, and number four, no violence. The guy looks at her. He says, I, I don't know, ma'am, that we've got any movies like that. So then he goes to the back and he brings out a single movie, a single DVD. It was called Baptist at My Barbecue. By, by, by the Mormons. <laughs> it was some story about how there was this town with Baptists and Mormons and they ended up inviting the Baptists to come to their barbecue. Terrible acting, bad story, but, uh, you know, we, we watched it. <laughs> that was the one movie that they had that didn't have violence, taking the Lord's name in vain, swearing, or sex. And so when you look at what's out there today, can it meet these requirements? Is the music you're listening to, does it live up to these? Because by beholding, 
you become changed. So let's take a look at some particular ones, and I'm hoping at the end that we'll have enough time to do a little Q&A and some reflection. What about video games? What is the problem with video games? They're addictive. And I'm just giving you a study now and what it says about people who play video games. People who, get, who are high into video games also shower less, exercise less, sleep less, think less about real issues, and interact with real people less. Does anybody know people who would fall into this category? Yeah, because they're addictive. I remember for a period of my life as a theology student, we would get together, a group of theology students, and we would play you know, history of civilizations. Do they still have that? Anyway, whatever it was, the Western Civ or whatever it was, there was the history of civilizations. We would play this game until like four in the morning. And then we'd get up all groggy. And the whole thing was we want to conquest. They know that, that men are three times, if not more, likely to get addicted to video games than women are. Because men love conquest. And he has a whole world for you to, to overthrow and to be the victor over, particularly if you can beat your friends in the process. Men are very competitive. And so they get into this, and there's this, this world that doesn't really exist, and who cares whether you have a conquest or not? Does it make any difference in the world whether you win or lose in a computer game? Does it make any difference? No. Are you, what's going to happen if you lose? This is little, these are little electronic bytes happening in a computer. It's little signals in a computer. If you don't win, the computer is not offended. So what we do with video games is we get sucked into something that's not really, really real, and we'll cover why that happens. The amount of spent time playing video games, this is another study, has a negative correlation with academic performance and a positive correlation with antisocial and even violent behavior. So what that means is that the more you play video games, it is likely that you'll do poorly in school. And the more you play video games, it is likely that you'll become antisocial and even violent. That's the statistical studies. So this is not something that's surprising. These are secular studies that indicate that video gaming has an impact on your social and psychological health. This is uh, comments on research by Dr. Douglas Gentile, professor of psychology at Iowa State University. He says the effects of violent gaming, particularly, and almost all video games are violent, it increases physiological arousal, so your body responds. They've tracked that response. It increases aggressive thoughts. You begin to think more aggressive thoughts. You get angry more easily. That's what they discovered is people who played a lot of video games had this like inner anger that they couldn't really explain. It increases aggressive behaviors so that people were more likely to get upset or to push, push something and it decreased pro-social helping. So these people were less likely to want to help others. There was a person who was writing an article that I read who said, you know, I read all of this stuff, and I said, it can't be that bad. And then I went to babysit my two nephews. And the eight-year-old boy was playing a video game, and he was losing. And he suddenly shouted at the screen and began shaking it. Why are you doing this to me? It's a computer. <laughs> It's not doing anything to you, but yet at the same time, there's this feeling, that this, this involvement that happens particularly uh, the younger you are, the worse it is. Does video game 
do video games have an impact on teenagers' brains? And the answer from David Walsh, a child psychologist, is yes. And that's largely because the teenage brain is different from the adult brain. The impulse control center of the brain, that part of the brain that makes us think ahead, the, the frontal lobes, consider consequences and manage urges, that's the part of the brain right behind, behind our forehead called the prefrontal cortex. That's under construction during the teenage years. In fact, the wiring of that is not completed until the early 20s. So what happens is normally, as you get older, you have the ability to make judgments in your brain that is able to help you distinguish between what's good behavior and what's bad behavior. But when teenagers, that wiring is not yet completed, so you tend to go off more instinctive responses. And if what you're building into your instinctive response, just like we saw at the beginning, is react this way, you'll tend to be more violent, more aggressive, and so on. And don't think just because you're an adult that this doesn't happen either. The same thing is going on. One of the things that we've also found is, uh, you know, and it happens with video games and it happens with movies, is the dopamine effect. And I don't want to get too much into the reward system in the brain, but essentially when you play video games or when you watch a movie, it increases the dopamine in your brain, which is kind of like a reward to your brain. And so your brain begins to thirst for that high that you created when you watched a movie. Any of you felt better when you watched a movie? I know none of you watch movies. Okay. I mean, talking about Final Events, DVD. <laughs> but if you watch a movie, you tend to get a high. If you play a video game, you tend to get a high. You, and that's why it's so addictive, because you get this high created by dopamine. And it's the same thing that happens when you take a drug. When you're taking a drug and people are getting high on drugs, the same kind of system is going on in the brain. And so people get addicted, and they, they even uh, talk about... Uh, maybe I have it later, Avatar Blues, that people after watching the movie Avatar, they, they were depressed following that because it gave them a temporary high and then they went into depression. And we'll see some of that a little later on. Some of the other things you've got to consider beyond the physical effects. You're creating this artificial high in your brain and you tend to get addicted. Some of the other effects are on the more moral level. If you think of who creates television programs, if you think of who creates video games, you just think about the values that drive those people. For instance, they did a study on TV's creative community. These are the people who write the Hollywood programs. 93% don't attend church. 95% think homosexuality is okay. 84% think adultery is okay. In Grand Theft Auto, I haven't played the game, but from what I've read, you have these horrifying things where you, you stomp on people and you bludgeon people to death. Yeah, and they take prostitutes in and then they kill them. And this is part of the game. I mean, it's gruesome. And so is this what we want to feed into our brains? Uh, some of the other things I, I like to think about is what is the culture of the people who make these things. What are the values and beliefs of those who write and direct Hollywood's movies and music and uh, the values of those who make the video games? Here are some of the values I've identified. Number one, secular values. Have you noticed, if you're watching television or if you're watching a movie, that almost all the problems are solved without God? Mm -hmm. You're playing a video game. You don't, it doesn't have a little icon, pray. <laughs> 
You know, everything is solved without reference to God. That's a secular approach to life. And I'm afraid that more and more Seventh-day Adventists are becoming secular. What secular is, it's not that you don't believe in God. It's just that you don't need Him. You don't refer to Him. And so we go to church on Sabbath, but that's the only day we do anything. One of my friends did a doctoral dissertation on a very boring topic, church boards. And he went to like 100 church boards in one year. And he examined what happened in the church boards. And you know what he said? We pray at the beginning of a church board and at the end of a church board, but we don't pray the rest of the time. I mean, we don't even mention the name of Jesus the rest of the time. It's essentially secular. And in our lifestyle choices, we tend to rely on things that have secular values. Not only is it secular, but it's relativistic. Most of the morals go against biblical and moral values. Well, that's just what's good for them. As long as it's good for them and as long as they're not hurting anyone, it doesn't really matter. Try and think of a movie that does not break one of the Ten Commandments. Spiritualism. If you've watched movies, if you've seen video games lately, you see that there is a tendency to glorify the darkness and power of evil. And so there's a lot of focus on what's on the evil that's going on, on darkness, on spirituality, the wrong kind of spiritualism. Again, what are some other things that we see? We see anti-authority, a bashing of authority. Take a look at any uh, television program today that's a comedy that has to do with dads. Dads are made out to be morons. I don't know what we did wrong, but you know, they, they make, you know, the mother kind of has some sense. The dad's an idiot, and the kids are the ones who have it together. So you watch these things, and, they, and they're talking against the authority of their dads, and they're downplaying religious uh, figures like pastors and so on because they are bashing authority. And of course, the underlying experience of all this entertainment is it's escapist. And intensity of emotion is an adequate replacement for real action. So people will watch something. And I'm, I, I don't get affected by this very much, so maybe this is not my struggle. But you know, when I'm watching a movie, I don't cry. I don't, but you know, everybody around me, I'm like, they're acting. This didn't happen. And, you know, they're like looking at me like, how dare you? Don't you experience the moment? And I, you know, but I, I know that they used onions or whatever else to make the people on the movies cry. So I'm like, I wonder what they used. Is that, is that ketchup or is that, you know? And I, you know, so I don't have that reaction. But for some people, they really get into it. And they can escape into this world where, you know, they're the charming a prince or the princess and they are taking on the world and they are doing all of these wonderful things and so they escape into that but they don't actually do anything reminds me of a story of a russian countess who went to a program in a theater and there were these two lovers on stage and the one dies and she's crying these tears oh that's so sad but outside in her carriage the uh, driver of her carriage had frozen to death in the cold so she, as she was, crying over actors going through an imaginary death, but quite willing to let her driver outside freeze to death in the cold. For many of us, we will cry over a movie, but do nothing in real life. You understand the problem? Because we go into that virtual world. And I believe that this form of escapism is particularly negative to our Christianity because it tends to remove us from what God is calling us to do. We watch it, we listen to it, we experience it, but we don't do anything with it. They, call, they even have a term for it, program non-response. I mean, you can watch people dying while you're eating your hamburgers. 
you know, and veggie burgers. And you're, you're having your fries and, and you watch something terrible taking place. It doesn't affect us anymore because it's just on TV. We get, you know, you can even get caught up and say, how terrible, how sad, but do nothing about it. Some of the other dangers that we've seen with television and movies, the frontal lobe of the brain is largely inactive during a movie. It has a hypnotic effect on you, kind of like I might be having for some of you right now. But it has this hypnotic effect. You're watching the movie. It's flashing images. And we know that you don't stay on a shot generally in a movie for more than a few seconds. So you have these flashing images, and there's something about that flashing that makes you go into almost like a trance. And that's why, with my kids, I've noticed if, they, if they're watching television, and that's why we just decided we're getting rid of the television. So the television is out of our home now. But when that television was there, we noticed we would even put in a, a harmless little nest video. You know what I'm talking about? Those little cartoons about Bible stories. And the kids would be glued to the screen. You could talk to them. Hello, Anaya. Anaya. And, you, and you're doing this. And then eventually, you know, they kind of come out of it. Now, men do this anyway. But, <laughs> but there's this tendency to just zone in and to be in this trance-like state where you are not effectively processing. So you're not learning a whole lot. You know the baby Einstein videos? They used to say, if you just watch these baby Einstein videos, you grow up to become more intelligent. And it, they did a study on it, and they showed that it was false. People who watched baby Einstein videos were dumber than the people who didn't. <laughs> because they were watching a television screen instead of interacting with the real world. The other effect is what we call mirror neurons, with the monkey see, monkey do effect. So what happens in the brain, and they've done this with brain analysis, is when you watch something, it triggers the same response in you as if you were actually doing it. So if I was, for instance, to describe to you eating of a lemon, and you, and you crunch into that lemon, what begins to happen? You begin to taste it, even though there's no lemon. That's the power of the mind. So when you're watching things that involve violence or sexuality, guess what happens in your own mind? You experience it as if you were doing it yourself. And that is what is incredibly dangerous about what we're doing with movies. It stimulates sexual desires, and it increases aggressive and violent tendencies. We know this from studies. And so it's, it's very clearly out there. Television watching... The average 18-year-old has witnessed 200,000 violent acts on television and movies, including 40,000 murders by the time he's 18. This is older research, but I'd like to share it with you. Al uh, Roll Hussman studied one set of children for more than 20 years. They found that kids who watched significant amounts of TV violence at the age of eight were consistently more likely to commit violent crimes or engage in child or spouse abuse at 30. And this was their conclusion. We believe that heavy exposure to televised violence is one of the causes of aggressive behavior, crime, and violence in society. And they wrote it when? 1984, 25 plus years ago. This is phenomenal. If, if that was true back then, just think of what would happen now. Television violence affects youngsters of all ages, of both genders, of all socioeconomic levels, and of all levels of intelligence. It cannot be denied or explained away. And every study since then has backed up that fact. So what we've seen is that, is that when you're watching something, it has an impact on your brain. It has an impact on your ability to process. Uh, this is a, another study more recent. Uh, spring of 2008, uh, the future of children. And notice what it says here. 
electronic media can have both positive and negative effects on children's development. It could be used positively as well. It is thus simplistic to argue that the media are detrimental or valuable to children. Now notice what they suggest is the criteria. Much of the effect depends on the what? Content to which children are exposed. In one experiment, the simple insertion of a humorous subplot distorted children's perceptions of a negative emotional event in a program and also caused children to minimize the seriousness of a similar event in real life. So for instance, if uh, you have, uh, what's this, have you ever watched this film Milo and Otis? It's like this cute little cat and dog. And then they have this terrifying scene where the bear and the, and the dog fight each other. But what they do is they play this nice little music in the background that makes it sound like it's a circus. Da 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 And they're fighting each other. But because of that, it makes the kids laugh and they think of it as a joke. But what would happen if a real bear and a real dog were fighting? The kids would tend to say, oh, this is fun. Now what happens if you're watching violence or sex on a consistent basis? What does that do to your perception of what those things mean? My uh, daughter, she was two and a half at that stage, we were visiting with friends and they had a couple of kids and we went into, we went and visited their house and uh, my daughter disappeared into the back room for just a few seconds, it's amazing just in a few seconds what can happen. And we were just alerted, something's not right. And so my wife got up and said, where's Anaya? And she went to go look for her and she opened the door and there the kids were watching television and uh, there was this woman who was, had a man standing over her and was jabbing a knife into her just multiple times and blood spraying everywhere. And so she ran up and she turned off the TV screen. And the kids said, oh, don't worry. The kid, uh, one of the kids that she was with who was about five or six, he said, oh, don't worry, it's just a movie. Where did he get that from? From the parents. It's just a movie. But is it just a movie? We've got to look at our lifestyle choices against what God calls us to become. Are we wrecking creation or are we becoming recreated? Uh, they did some study on long-term effects of television. They took 150 college students and interviewed them about their memories of intense fears. 90% were able to describe in detail a movie or television program that frightened them in a lasting way. Although most had seen it in childhood, 26% reported residual anxiety such as sleep disturbances. That's a quarter. The younger the child, the longer the fear lasted. So they could say, they could say, oh yeah, I remember being frightened out of my mind and it was this television or this movie program. Does television do movies? Are they able to make an impact on your brain to have a long-lasting effect? Yes. How many of you have struggled to get rid of images that have come through the computer or the television, right? Yeah, we've seen something and it burns into our memory. It is such a powerful medium. And so when you expose yourself to certain kinds of entertainment, you are burning those images in and they get stored in your memory. And it's a challenge to get them out. Amen? You know, but for the grace of God, think of what we could become. I think he gives us some selective divine amnesia. So there is one category that I feel covers it all, and that is G for garbage. <laughs> we need to just get rid of some things. And the Bible does tell us, love not the world, nor the things in the world. And so that should be our focus. We're not going to love the world. Some of the dangers of movies I think we should think about. 
I mentioned earlier program non-response. We don't respond. It steals time. At Southern, they have a network that you can join up all the computers in the dorm and they can borrow movies from each other. I don't quite know how they do it all. But they borrow movies and I've had guys staying awake until like 6 in the morning just watching movies because they were there. It's kind of like Mount Everest. I climbed it because it was there. Well, I watched the movie because it was there. And when you finish watching a movie, we know now that you are more likely to watch another movie. So when, you, when you've watched one, your, your impulse um, control is lowered and you're more likely to watch another one. So it steals your time. It reduces spiritual interest. How many of you have tried reading your Bible after watching a movie? Challenging, right? It encourages poor lifestyle habits. How do you watch a movie? Are you training on your bicycle? No, what are you doing? You're slouching around. You're sitting slouched in a chair. Uh, you're not getting up. You're not eating well. You're often eating snack food. And so all of these uh, things are poor lifestyle habits. So what should we do? So people tell me, well, there's basically three options. Number one is abstinence. Don't watch movies. Number two is moderation. And number three is addiction. You know, so obviously... Don't stop the cycle. Just watch what you feel when you feel like it. That's what we should do, right? No, no. I'm just seeing if you guys are awake. So that one's not going to work. And then you say, well, moderation. Pick that which is not harmful and watch your moderation. Doesn't that sound like a good option? Well, what's, what's the problem with option number two? I think it's a great option. But what's the problem with most people with option number two? Finally, men's TV gets boring. What it, the problem is we're not going to stay with what's not harmful. That's the issue. And so we keep looking for something else because what drives us to wrecking creation is we are thirsty. And I'm going to come, come to that a little later on. We're thirsty for something. So moderation only works if you can actually follow it. If you're not following it, if you start taking in harmful things, it's not moderation. You're leading back towards addiction. So I recommend, not because you can't do moderation, but I recommend abstinence, at least for a while, because the tendency of us is that if we can escape, we will. So here's a little cycle. Stress, escape. Stress, escape. Any of you ever been in that cycle? The more you escape, the less assignments you've done for class, the more stressed you become, so the more you escape. The more you escape, the less you've done, so the more stressed you become, so the more you escape. Any of you ever been caught up in that cycle? So movies naturally lead you to escape. And when you have that option available, you're more likely to take it. And so it's better just to make a decision, say, I'm not going to do it. One guy told me he loved movies. Every time he got on a plane, he couldn't wait, especially, you know, ones where you, have, where you can choose your movie. And so you just love it. And so the one time he gets on a plane and there they, and he's promised myself, I'm not going to watch. And then they have all of these options available. And he said, I knew if, even if I started with the National Geographic documentary, I would end up in a movie. So what did he have to do? Cut it off. Just make that decision. Surrender it to God. I'm not going to watch it. But won't life be boring if I give up all my music and movies? Does God just want me to live like a hermit? <laughs> you know, am I just going to be, oh, I'll just sit here and read Exodus and Leviticus. What am I going to do? Well, think about the options. You know, you say life is going to be boring, but I find that movies and music and video games tend to be like a pain pill. Um, the pain pill, what's its objective? To silence the pain. But what happens when it wears off? 
the pain is still there. In fact, sometimes it's even stronger now because you're aware of it in contrast to having no pain. Because all of us actually live with a little amount of pain every day. But you take away all that pain and then suddenly it comes rushing back in. And so what do you need to do again? Go get another pain pill. Is the pain pill helping you or not? No, it, all it's doing is alleviating the pain. What would be a much better way of dealing with this problem? Deal with the pain. Absolutely. So, and we need to deal with the pain. And those people who haven't dealt with their pain are more likely to become addicted because they have a natural painkiller in entertainment. So, are you saying then that it's a sin to watch sin? Well, enjoying watching, listening to, or even contemplating sin weakens our hatred for it and our love for Jesus. Would you agree? Let's take a look at a quick couple of texts. Psalm 101 verse 3. Well, you probably know this one already. I will set no wicked thing before my eyes. Should we set wicked things before our eyes? No. Romans 1 verse 32. Notice what it says about this group of people, what they take pleasure in. They take pleasure in someone else doing it. And the Bible says that that is wrong. If you're enjoying someone else's sin, look at this. Who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only to do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. They get pleasure out of watching someone else commit a sin. So is it a sin to watch sin? Yes. Now, is therefore temptation a sin? What does the Bible say? A few quick texts here. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15. Is temptation a sin? Jesus was in all points tempted. If Jesus was tempted, is temptation a sin? No, it's not a sin. And we can see various other places that I'm going to get to the James 1 verse 13 text later. We can see that temptation is not a sin, but when you look lustfully, it can become a sin. Right? So we need to distinguish what's going on here. So I love this quotation, which is attributed to Martin Luther. You cannot prevent birds from flying overhead, but you can prevent them from building a nest in your hair. The problem is not temptation. Oh, look, there goes a beautiful woman. Oh, look, there's a movie that looks like I should watch. That's not the problem. The problem is dwelling on that thought over and over again until you can think of nothing else and you end up engaging in it. So temptation, not a sin but allowing it to grow and grow can become a sin. So this is what has really helped my wife and myself to understand how to deal with recreation and recreation. This is a central principle that, that has just opened up so many doors for us. We said, wow, this is the key. It talks about two sins that Israel have committed. And notice what they are. Number one, forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. And number two, hewn out for themselves broken cisterns. Jeremiah 2.13. So take a look at what happens here. They've forsaken the true way to get their thirst answered. So I'm going to point to the thirst section here. What should you do with your thirst according to that? You should go to the fountain of living waters. Absolutely. Now, notice what happens if you don't. They go to broken cisterns. So we have a thirst... That results in a desire. I, so it's Saturday night, and I've been spiritual all day Sabbath. So now Saturday night, I get this thirst to do what? To do something exciting. That is really a call to reconnect with God. But instead of answering that call, or to deal with my pain, or to reconnect with my friends, instead of answering that call, 
that desire becomes selfish and that selfish desire says I want to get some fun out of life and so it leads me towards sin now I go and I I sin and I watch this movie I shouldn't watch what happens in my head I get a dopamine high and so I have this high but when the movie's over and I've still got those images playing through my head maybe there were sexual images maybe something else I'm filled with shame and stress everyone know what I'm talking about here so there's shame and stress, and that shame and stress results in pain and a low. I get depressed, as I mentioned, the avatar blues. So I have this pain, I go through this low, this depression. That makes me thirsty. In order to get it fixed, where should I go? To the fountain of living waters, because he's the only one who can fix my pain. But instead, I go back to my selfish desire, and I go back and I get another movie, and the movie becomes a pain reliever. I get a temporary high, but that results in shame and stress, and we go round and round again. Everyone follow the cycle? So we need to find a way to break out. So we have to deal with the pain that drives us. The person who manages to deny his pain behind a facade of togetherness is dangerously, dangerously vulnerable to developing compulsively sinful habits because he's not dealing a death blow to the wrong strategies that block his enjoyment of the Lord. He's not willing to deal with the music and the movies and the addictive behaviors. The unrecognized and largely unfelt ache in his soul still demands relief. He's ripe for being hooked when he stumbles across something that provides a flash of excitement and a sense of fulfillment. The momentary relief of that core ache more closely resembles, listen to this, the experience of joyful living than anything he's known. It brings him closer than all his efforts to be obedient ever have. So for a moment, he feels good. When you play the video game, when you, when you listen to the music, when you watch the movies for a moment, it feels good. Everyone had this experience? I mean, at least some stage in your life. And when it feels good, it's because it's answering the pain or, or numbing it, either one, and you, and you have that momentary feeling. But it's a broken system because you go to drink from that water, and what's a broken system? A system was... I don't know if I have the picture there, I don't. A cistern was a place where they kept water, and that broken cistern meant that the water would leak out. And so they keep going back, and they're forever empty, forever empty. God's plan is to fill us up with himself, to recreate us in his own image, so that we don't keep going back to the false systems. Notice how it works. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted by his what? his own evil desire and he is dragged away and enticed the problem is we haven't learned to figure out what our what our hearts desire and to change that desire by God's grace to be filled with his love so some people say well you know I'm not sure if I'm really convicted about all of this music and movies what if I'm not sure if I'm convicted what does James 4 verse 17 say read it with me to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not to him it is? It's sin. That's right. So many people know they shouldn't do something, but they don't feel guilty doing it. They mistakenly say, well, I'm not convicted about that. Because their feelings lie to them, they think they don't have to obey God. But the Bible says that if we know something, whether or not we feel guilty for disobeying, we are. Does everyone get the point? 
So we need to sense that what we've got here is we are, unless we follow what God is doing, unless we say, God, I'm broken, I'm thirsty, I, I'm looking for something to fill me up, help me to fill myself up in you, pour out your love upon me, unless we take that thirst and that pain to God, God, I'm lonely, we're going to find substitutes that create a problem for us. Everyone follow the point? Our heart's prayer needs to be, search me, O God, and know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Then we won't build convictions just on what other people think is okay. We'll be able to surrender to God and the scriptures will lead us and guide us and he will show us, look, this is good and this isn't good. There's some things that you need to give up, some things that keep you back. I love this uh, quotation from Susanna Wesley, the mother of the famous evangelist John and Charles Wesley, when she warned him about sin. She said, whatever increases the strength and authority of your body, of your mind, that thing is sin to you, however innocent it may be. If it's increasing your fleshly nature over your spiritual, it's sin. And what are you going to do with sin? Cut it out. Cut it out. Because God has a much better way. He gives us pleasures forevermore. He has a banquet, a feast prepared for us. How many of you want a banquet or a feast? You want a feast? You guys still awake? I know it's, it's a little warm in here. You want a feast? Yeah, we need a feast. So the Bible simply says, and I want to end with this, put off the old man and put on the new man. So that means certain things are going to have to be cut off. You, you know, there's no way. Isn't that what Jesus said? It's better to enter heaven than with your, your hand or your foot cut off and to enter heaven maimed than to go in with that, you know, than to go to hell with all your limbs. Now, he's not meaning physically. I don't want, you know, people like, oh, man, my foot led me into sin. I'm just going to hack it off. No, no, what he's meaning is cut out the things that keep you from God. So what should you do? You know, we've had bonfires where we burn CDs. And by the way, it's, it's kind of freaky because when you burn CD covers, they make this, these, these interesting blue flames and you can see all kinds of things in there. So I don't know if there are demons there, but anyway, <laughs> the plastic burning certainly does something freaky to it. So we burn stuff. We've thrown it away. We've helped people delete their hard drives uh, of things that shouldn't be on there. People have taken their video games and put them away because they recognize the devil has an agenda. Would you agree? The devil has an agenda. And then they've turned and they said, all right, what am I going to do? Because I've cut out all of that stuff and I'm still thirsty. And that's when the real work begins. Replacing that negative stuff with God's higher pleasures. At the right hand are pleasures forevermore. God wants you to have his pleasures. Amen. He wants you to have good music. He wants you to be able to watch things that are helpful. He wants you to interact with the real world and do mission work and to find yourself blessed by doing those things that make a difference. But you're going to have to make the decision. Put off and put on. Let's pray. Father, someone here this morning has been struggling with letting go of something that they know is harmful to them. They've seen how it's had an effect on their brains, had an effect on their spiritual lives, how the values of the very people who created these things is meant to lead us away from Christ. And now, Lord, there's somebody here who's willing to say, I am going to throw that away. I'm going to delete that. I, I'm going to protect myself by finding my thirst met in you.
I'm going to dwell on what you mean for me. I'm going to let you heal my pain. Somebody who's been lonely and maybe they've used movies or computers or something else to fill up that loneliness. Lord, I pray that you will, you will fill that loneliness with yourself and with a good Christian family. Please, Lord, help us to give up that weight that entangles us and trips us. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, a little Q&A. We have a little bit of time now. Um, Q&A. What, what questions do you have? Yes. In light of the effect of television and media on the mind, how effective is this as a means for evangelism, given that we retain less because of the hypnotic state that many people find themselves in? Even if they're watching, say, a DVD that's you know, a tape of evangelism, but yet they're in that trance state where they're not really retaining the information. No, it's have you done studies on this? We haven't done studies on the evangelism effect, but they certainly have done studies on how much you absorb from a television program. And you can easily see this. What you remember from television programs may be a concept, or, but it's more likely an emotion. Mm -hmm. You think about a lot of the movies or TV you've watched, you remember your emotion. So um, evangelistic videos help people maybe to catch the concept of the Sabbath. But if you ask them a question afterwards to really explain it, you'll find that many of them struggle. Um, so it, it, is, it is a challenge, but it is useful to at least get the, the, the broad idea across. Yeah. I, but people don't hear, I mean, even just this whole presentation I've given you, you couldn't repeat it. Uh, so this is not the most effective way to learn anything, to sit here, stare at a screen and stare at a speaker. So we should be out there in the sunshine, but then Shamika couldn't get her video. Okay, yes, I will repeat the question. So the question is, should we use, the question that we just answered was, should we use video, I mean, should we use um, evangelistic videos? How much do people retain? And the answer is they get the basic concept, but not much more. All right. Any other questions? Yes. Sometimes I'll tell myself, well, I haven't watched the news in two weeks. Um, not that I depend on it mm -hmm. for the weather, but it has very seldom will they, will they show something that is very inspiring about someone helping someone. Right. Most of it is gory about So Yeah, so the question is how, how dangerous is television? Uh, it can it be positive. I think, like most mediums, like most technological meetings, mediums, it can be used positively. The challenge with television, and you're mentioning the news, is that uh, if, if you've ever had a break from television, you've gone back, you find with the news they just repeat the same things over and over. You'll even have the same shots, and they just cycle through them. And then you've got all the ads to contend with in between. And, of course, as you mentioned, news tends to be negative because that's what sells. You know, you, you don't put on the news. Everybody was happy on the Weimar campus today. And moving on, you know, it's just that's not going to make the news. What, what would make the news is 
uh, the principal went wild and killed three students, then that would make the news. <laughs> but, you know, everybody happy and doing well and they're having a wonderful spiritual time doesn't make the news. So the news tends to glorify the negative. Yes. Any other questions? Do you, what about video games? Is this too hard? I mean, not every... They found video games can help kids with skills. Video games can help you with broad skills. So, yeah, if you're, uh, you know, if you're planning uh, a career in, in doing things that require video game skills, I guess there's some value to that. The problem is that when you spend a lot of time in front of the computer screen, that's the negative. It's bad for your eyes. It's bad for, for your exercise. It's bad for uh, your sleep patterns at night. And so the problem is, again, moderation and choosing that which is good. Yes. I was wondering, have you, done any, have you seen any studies on text messaging? You know, you know, I've seen kids sit right next to each other, almost like they're texting each other rather than talking. Yeah, to yeah they, have, they have shown that, that in, and it's still new because text messaging is fairly recent, so we don't have enough longitudinal studies. But very clearly with text messaging, we've seen that people who text a lot, and we, we're talking about, you know, kids these days will text upwards of 10,000 messages a month. Um, when you're texting, when you're texting that many people, that becomes your means of communication. So people who are texting are not paying attention to what's happening around them. So we've got more car accidents, we've got poorer academic records, we have more antisocial behavior, and all of these things are as a result of this dependence on texting, um, because we are a soundbite generation. So we love the soundbites. That's why we love Facebook, because the status update is limited. You, you can't go on like a blog, you know, or like MySpace where you pour out your guts for three pages. It, it's short, and that's the new generation. That's, we like something short, soundbite, quick, bang, and that's text messaging. But what that's resulted in is superficial relationships, because how much do you really know about these people? You know, I, I have 23, 2,400 friends on Facebook. They're not my friends. Well, some of you are. But I mean, you know, most of them are not my friends. They are people who we send sound bites across the waves to. And there's something that's a little dysfunctional about that. By the way, uh, Facebook, they have done a study on this. Facebook will also give you a hormonal high just going on Facebook. But you knew that. <laughs> All right. Well, if those are the only questions... Uh, we'll wrap up. Thank you for listening, and I hope all goes well with the rest of the day. I should, they don't have a paper here about what's coming up for the next seminars. I think uh, this afternoon we may have one on dress and then one on worship. And so uh, the one on dress is going to be interesting. How should you dress? The one on worship is dealing with what worship is acceptable for church services and um, worship wars and, and those kinds of things. So if either of those interest you, please do come back.